You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. descending of the Holy Spirit upon us with great richness and the giving of gifts and the outpouring of power to share the gospel in our community. What a wonderful joy it is for us to be together. The scripture reading for this evening is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning to read at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17. Paul the Apostle has visited this church in Corinth, and now he is writing to them. They are a church with many problems, but he is, as he has written, he is providing answers to problems of churches today. But the passage that we're dealing with tonight, thinking of the Presbytery and the ministers of the Presbytery in particular, has to do with a particular call to the gospel ministry and the responsibility of the churches to the ministers and the ministers to their churches. Let us hear then this portion of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple 
and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach in the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, under the law, that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might th win those who are without law to the weak. I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one wins the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, this is how I run, not with uncertainty. So I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Necessities of the gospel ministry. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a massive privilege you have given us. Weak, frail human beings, sinful to the core, yet sanctified by your Spirit, that you should grant to us the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that you should call us 
to be ministers of your word, to preach the gospel, to declare it authoritatively, to be your ambassadors sent from heaven, representing you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We bow before you in humbleness and ask that you will make nothing of us but give all glory to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made a gospel, a good news, possible for this world. Give us new ears each day to hear afresh the power of the gospel unto salvation for all who believe. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Is necessity laid upon you? Do you say, woe is me if I preach not the gospel? That was Paul the apostle's testimony. Paul was not a volunteer. And God is not looking for volunteers to come and preach the gospel. God sovereignly lays his hand and calls people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when God calls someone, there is a necessity there. He has no choice. Did Paul have a choice on the road to Damascus to preach the gospel? He had no choice whatsoever. But he had a privilege, a massive privilege, of the, being the one and only apostle to the nations. There were 12 apostles to the nation of Israel, but only one apostle to all the rest of the nations of the world. And that was the calling of the apostle Paul. What about you? You who are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, has that calling? Has that sense of necessity begun to fade in your thinking? Or is it still something that is very alive, something that is compelling you day by day so that you can say, woe is me if I preach not the gospel? Paul makes this testimony very personal. He says, necessity is laid upon me Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. This passage of scripture sealed my call, my personal call to the gospel ministry when I was 16 years of age. Now, if you know approximately my age, you know that's between 60 and 70 years ago. This verse spoke to me 60 to 70 years ago, and God called me to the gospel ministry. And since that date, this has been my testimony. Necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me as I preach not the gospel. And because Paul makes it very personal, I'm going to share just a little bit of my own personal experience of the necessity of preaching the gospel with you 
not in any way to give glory to myself because this is not something that I chose. This is the work of God, and any minister here also could stand up and attest to the same thing of the necessities of the gospel. And some of you may at this point in your life be wondering, maybe God is calling me to the gospel ministry. And I want to encourage you to think carefully about this possibility and consider that God might lay upon you this wonderful thing that you would say necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. But first of all, out of the larger context of this verse, look at one non-necessity of the gospel. One surprising non-necessity. What is this surprising non-necessity of the gospel? You don't have to be paid to preach the gospel. You do not have to be paid to preach the gospel. And if you have to be paid to preach the gospel, then you, I'm not going to say you're not called to the gospel because you should be paid. And Paul makes that very clear. God has a concern for the ox, and if he has a concern for the dumb ox, then he must have a concern for preachers as well. And if he wants the ox not to be bound so that he can't eat a little grain while he's doing that heavy work, then the preacher has a right to eat the physical things that people provide as he labors to provide the spiritual things. And believe, the preacher labors. He labors against spiritual wickedness and high places. He labors against all sorts of demonic powers that try to turn his head a different way. He labors against opposition to the gospel, even from his own church. He may find even that one that he led to gospel salvation discipled in Christ becomes his great adversary within the church. He labors and he deserves to be supported. He should be supported. But it is not a necessity to preach the gospel, to be paid. When I was first called to the gospel ministry at 16 years of age, I had to preach. I had to preach. So I went to the trailer camps and I set up a, a flannel graph and I preached to the children. I have a preaching yo-yo. And so I went into the poorest sections of town and I preached my yo-yo with my yo-yo to the children. And then I went to the jail and this big, large Salvation Army woman, she says to me, you go into that cell. Okay, and they unlock the cell, and I go into the cell, and they lock the cell behind me, and then they go away. And here's this young man standing there in front of me, and so I start preaching to him. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I am just as great a sinner as you, my friend. No, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. 
I am as great a sinner as you. No, you're not. I beat my wife to death with an iron rod. Well, maybe I'm not as great a sinner as you. <laughs> oh, yes, I am as great a sinner as you, because if I have hate in my heart, I have committed murder in my heart toward you. As a student, when I was in seminary, sometimes I would be sitting on the end of the pew, and as the pastor, I, I, I played football at, in grammar school, and I know what a flying tackle is, and when the pastor walked by, I was strongly tempted to leap out of the pew and do a flying tackle on the preacher and grab his pigskin Bible and go up to the pulpit and preach myself. That was how strong my call to the gospel was. And when I became a professor at the university at Westminster Theological Seminary, one day I went into the president, to President Edmund P. Clowney, and I said, Dr. Clowney, I'm going to have to resign. You're going to have to resign? Why are you going to have to resign? Well, I can preach without teaching, but I cannot teach without preaching, and so I'm going to have to resign. And Dr. Clowney says, well, go start a church. What? Yeah, just take some students and go out and start a church. So that's what I did. I got some students, and we went out and started going door to door, and then we went into a little park where there were some benches made by some Boy Scouts, and, and we talked about vacation vespers, come, everybody come. We stood on the sidewalk, I can still remember standing there wondering if anybody is going to come, and then the cars started driving up, and we led them back into the woods, <laughs> into these little benches, and we had an old army organ. I don't know if you've ever seen a portable army organ. You, you use your knees like this to make it go louder and softer. And one of the students could play the, the organ. And we started preaching. And that church is still going today after 30 or 40 years. But when you're called to the gospel ministry, necessity is laid upon you because it's not of you, it's of Almighty God. But why? All you pastors know what I'm talking about, this necessity to preach. But why is that? What is it that pushes you? Well, it's the gospel. It's the power of God. Let me take you just a moment to to our university in Africa, and let me introduce you to one Sudanese student. And let me take you up to Sudan with him, where there's chaos and robbers everywhere. And they come into his home, and they're taking everything away of his home, and he takes his computer and he does like this. And he says, you can kill me, you can take everything out of my house, but you cannot take my computer because it has my notes from African Bible College where I'm going to preach. And so they spared his life. 
And so he's preaching up in that wild area even until today. Why is this compulsion there? Because this is the only hope, and I want to tell you. You ask any African student, and they will tell you the, on, the one and only hope for every, every need in Africa today, whether it's poverty, whether it's corruption, whether it's robbery, whether it's murder, whether it's tribalism, is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you... I don't know that you in America really believe that as strongly as they believe it. Do you really believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to all the problems that we have in this nation and in the world today? I want to assure you that is the answer to every problem in this world today. And it is the only answer. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, non-necessity. You don't have to be paid. If you're called, you will find a way to preach the gospel. But look at the necessities of the gospel ministry. And here, look at the examples of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will find several passages that where Jesus says, or the circumstances, or the scripture says, I must, he must. There is a necessity. The first we see is there is always to be a necessity to seek to expand the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There must always be this necessity laid upon you to expand the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus centers his ministry in Capernaum, in Galilee of the nations, right on the Via Maris, the way of the sea, connecting three continents. Any army passing from Europe or Asia to Africa went through Capernaum. Any trade route, traders going from Africa up to Europe or Asia passed through Capernaum. And Jesus was having a tremendous ministry they had massive people that were gathered around Jesus, and he was making great success in his preaching. He went off to pray, and he came back. And the people, it says, in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said, I must. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other towns also because it is a necessity to me. For that is for which I, the reason for which I was sent. And so he leaves. He departs. A popular ministry a successful ministry, a ministry in a strategic city. What more could you want? Well, it's like that seed, as Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like a seed. And if you have anything to do with gardening, you know about seeds. 
You know about weed seeds. If there's any crack in your little patio, whatever, there's going to be a seed there, and that seed is going to push the concrete out of the way and push itself out. It's got to grow. The Gospel of Mark, in talking about that seed, uses an interesting word. The Greek word is, see if you can understand this Greek word, automate. You get that word? Automate. The seed grows automate. What is that? Automatically. There's inherent power in the seed to move on, just like yeast. Yeast is not going to stop until it's gone through the hole of the lump. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not to stop until it reaches the whole world. This gospel, says Jesus, must be, and he repeats it twice, must be preached in all nations, among all the peoples, and then the end will come. And for the past 2,000 years, people have tried to stop it, but they cannot stop it, can they? They've burned Bibles. They've burned translators. They've put them in prison. They've tortured them. And the gospel continues. And the gospel will continue. Do you believe in the life-giving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Sometimes I wonder if even in the PCA, we've lost faith in the power of preaching the gospel. We don't really believe that just getting up and preaching is going to change things. As a matter of fact, when we went out to start this little church with some students, this person, this executive came and said, you'll never start a church with preaching. You'll never start a church with preaching. Well, we started a church with preaching. It has the power of God, the proclamation of the gospel into all the world. You know that beautiful picture of that vision of Daniel, of that Colossus, and a stone cut out without hands, that Colossus representing what? All the mighty empires of the world. And this stone cut out without hands tumbling down from heaven, smashes at the feet of the stone of the Colossus, and it totally disintegrates. And is that the end of the story? No. That stone grows to fill the whole earth. Why is there a necessity to preach the gospel? Because God has put in it that power to expand. <laughs> I was so excited coming into this presbytery, so excited when I found that just about every church here in this presbytery is a church plant. First Redeemer, and then Hope, and then somebody needs to write this history. You really need to have someone write this history before the eyewitnesses forget. This is amazing. Just about every church here is one that was a church plant. Praise the Lord. Somebody has a vision of the expansion of the church. And I understand tomorrow we're going to have a luncheon 
sponsored by the church planting committee of the presbytery and they're going to present another church planter it's wonderful because it's the power of god and the salvation and that is the first necessity do not ever be satisfied contented with where you are do you do you read acts chapter 1 8 the way i read it you shall be my witnesses both in jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He said all of that to all the disciples. I believe that applies to every single Christian, and every single church, and every single presbytery, and every single denomination. You should have a ministry to your Jerusalem. That's your primary place. But then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. I see you there, Jonah. I praise the Lord that somebody is reaching out to plant and to do work in new areas here in this presbytery. So that's the first thing to notice in terms of a necessity of the gospel ministry. A second necessity of the gospel of ministry is your call to preach will compel you to take full advantage of divine appointments. If you're called to preach, if you're called to be a witness, and I'll expand this for everyone here, if you're called to be a witness of Jesus Christ, as we all are, then you will be compelled. It will be a necessity of you to take advantage, full advantage, of every divine appointment. You know what I'm talking about with divine appointments. John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says that Jesus left Judea and he must go through Samaria. Now, that was a normal way of route, but he didn't have to go through Samaria and you read the commentaries, you read Leon Morris, and he says there was a divine compulsion there. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman, one woman, at one well, and the one Jesus was going to be there. That was a divine appointment. Now, Jesus had been struggling with the, with the opponents in Judea. Jesus must have been tired of walking. Jesus could have just sat there with his mouth shut. But Jesus engaged that woman, which was violating all sorts of social protocol. Not only speaking to a woman, but speaking to a Samaritan woman, he took advantage of that divine appointment. Every day, you are going to have divine appointments. You are going to meet someone under some circumstance, and you are going to have some opportunity to open your mouth and preach. I'm having my second operation this a week from today and 
The doctor says, you've got to build up your strength. So I went to the YMCA and I got a special trainer to give me some special training. And after a while, it's pretty clear that she was not a Christian, a very nice woman and knows her business well. She gave me a good workout. And, but then she said, I can't meet next Thursday because my brother is dying. My brother is dying, and I'm going to visit. Bing! A divine appointment. You think I'm going to go to our next meeting without something in my hand to give this woman about hope for the resurrection? It happens all the time. You have to be sensitive. If you are, have this compulsion, this necessity of the gods of, of the of the call to the gospel ministry, or even as a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find that compulsion, that, that, that unique opportunity that just comes, and you have to be ready for it, and you have to be quick to respond. Sometimes go ahead and jump not knowing where it's going to take you and see where it does take you. Be alert, especially cross-culturally. Afghan refugees coming to North Carolina. Sure, give them food, give them clothing, give them housing, give them work. Give them the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not going to kill you for preaching at them here now. This is our opportunity to share the gospel. Now third, must of the necessities. Your call to preach will compel you, if you're following Jesus, to die daily. If you're called and have the necessity of the gospel upon you, you're called to die daily for Christ. At the farthermost point north of his ministry in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus makes himself known finally to his disciples. You are the Christ. I ask. I agree. You're right. I am the Christ. And then immediately he tells them, I must go to Jerusalem. I have a divine necessity and there they're going to kill me. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. And on the third day, I shall rise again from the dead. And they had no idea what he was talking about. And after he had revealed that future to his disciples, he then turned to them and said, if any man if any person will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Now, you don't pick your teeth with a cross. What do you do with a cross? You crucify yourself. You crucify having yourself on the Lord of yourself. You put yourself to death for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now Luke 
and all you theologians know this, that's called the Luke's journey to Jerusalem. From Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19, Jesus is making his way. Several references to the fact that he's on the way to Jerusalem. The Samaritans won't even receive him now because he has his face set. There must have been something in his face that he was set to go to Jerusalem. And those that were following him as he came up near Jerusalem, they were terrified because of the way Jesus was leading them. He had this commitment. It was a something that he had to be bound to do, to go to the cross. And that physical death was only one part of what he was un to undergo. He was to suffer the curse of the Father. He was to cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was to be the sin bearer. And God looking down upon his son would turn his back upon him. And he would cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? Luke adds one word to what is not in the other Gospels. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What is it? Daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Isn't that exciting? 365 ways to die this year. 365 different ways to put yourself to death. If you're sensitive enough to the working of the Holy Spirit that is alerting you to how you can show love in a way that you would not have anticipated it. Also, in this Luke's journey to Jerusalem, he has some special sections. And if you read those sections, you will find it is fascinating. There are 15 parables in Luke's journey to Jerusalem that are not in any of the other Gospels. 15 parables unique to Luke in that journey to Jerusalem. What's going on here? Luke is trying to tell you, and Jesus is telling you, how you die daily. He's giving you concrete evidence as to what it will mean to die daily. So, here is the parable that you're very familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan. What does that teach you about dying for Jesus today? Well, today, this may be the day that you come across an alien of some sort that is contrary to your cultural context, and he's going to be in great need, and it will cost you a great amount of money, and as well as time, as well as inconvenience in your travels to help that person. <laughs> when I was traveling with some students, I got let off at the Good Samaritan Inn and walked the rest of the way down. And I want to tell you, <laughs> that's a walk just halfway down to Jericho. And 
this good Samaritan got off his donkey and he walked all the way down and let this poor Samaritan get, or this poor Jew get on his back. He went to the innkeeper and said, I'll pay you and I'll come back again and whatever the cost has been, I'll pay. Die today for Jesus. That's taking up your cross today for Jesus. That's what you're called to do for Jesus. Another parable, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. What do you learn from that? Always be looking for that lost one. Never stop looking for that lost member of your family, a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister. Always keep praying. Always keep looking. Because in the end, you may have so much joy when the lost are found and God finds them by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, necessities of the gospel ministry. Jesus models the necessities for us. And Paul underscores, we come back to our text, necessity is laid upon me. You know what an onomatopoeic word is? What is an onomatopoeic word? It's a word where the way you say it just tells you what it means. Well, that's this word right here. I'll say it for you in Greek. Why? Oh, why? What is that? Whoa. Why? Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. How can I do anything but preach the gospel? For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That was Paul's testimony in a very small way with my preaching yo-yo. That is my testimony. May it be your testimony all during your ministry days. Necessity. A joyful, wonderful, amazing necessity laid upon you to preach the gospel the only hope of salvation for this world in which we live. Let us pray. The cross of Christ is before us. The risen Savior in his power is with us. We live in Jesus, and he lives in us. Oh, Lord, be gracious enough to let us experience your power once more in our generation. 
raise up a new generation of preachers of the gospel that will go to prison, that will do whatever is necessary, and never fear as they preach the gospel. Give us this blessing in our time, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Remember, we love these rascals.